everybody. Welcome back to Gab with Gwen podcast. We are on episode 50. Shoot all the fireworks in the sky. Okay, your lighter's up. We made it to the 50th episode. And I think it's very fitting that we have a special guest back, Mr. Ismail Abdusalam. Hello. Hey, Gwen. Thanks for having me back. Always a pleasure. Uh, happy Ramadan. We're on the second day, right? Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Everything is going good so far. You know, re- I'll have to report back to you in like a week or two to see where my weight is at. Is at. <laughs> That's normally when I start dropping a lot of weight. I think last year I ended up losing like maybe 15 pounds. Wow. Really? Yeah. Because, you know, I still continue doing my workouts even during Ramadan. And I normally do like three days of cardio. So, you know, men, we can kind of drop weight really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. So I've been lifting more this year. So I don't want to lose that much weight. So I'm going to have to try and figure out a way to kind of scale things back. We'll, we'll see how things go. Wow. All right. Well, enjoy. Uh, it's a big time, different time this year than it normally is, Definitely. I imagine, you know. So, yeah, everyone's adjusting to the new normal. So, uh, you guys, it's Saturday, the 25th of April. I don't know when y'all going to hear this, so it'll be coming <laughs> up whenever I get to edit this, but just an FYI. And so we are in... I don't know, month two, like time is such a weird thing concept now, but you know, since March until now over a month and the country being in lockdown, however, you live in Atlanta and was it, is it yesterday that Atlanta was opening back up per the governor's orders? Per the governor's orders, but against the uh, wishes of our mayor, Keisha Bottoms. So we're in kind of, um, I don't want to say a limbo, but it's a political tug of war. So, you know, the mayor came out and said this was a bad idea. Uh, The governor didn't even consult me, didn't even consult the mayor of Augusta, pretty much any of the major cities that he was going to do this. So a lot of the businesses here have decided not to open. You know, I got a notice from my um, gym that they don't think it's a good idea or that they could, you know, really uh, do it safely. So they're not doing it. Uh, I got notices from a couple uh, restaurants that they're not doing it either. So it's hard to gauge how many um, businesses here in the city are actually moving forward with opening. But I think the majority are not because there's simply no way that they could do it safely. So and even when you have Donald Trump, you know, who he came out against the governor, too, and said it was a bad idea and they probably should have did this a little bit slower. It really makes you wonder what Well, I kind of already know why he decided to do this. I really think it's potentially the big business interest that made him think this was a good idea. But I really see it backfiring already, at least here in the city of Atlanta, which is mostly blue. It's hard to say what the rest of the red state is thinking about this, but I think most of Atlanta, from what I'm seeing, is still staying put as of now. And so the governor, his name is Kemp, right? Yes, Brian Kemp. And he's Republican? Of course, yes. Uh, Georgia's a red state, so we've had... Since I've been out of school, all our governors have been um, Republican. So I did see the videos from um, the mayor of Atlanta saying she wasn't in agreement. And actually, it's interesting to hear that he had not consulted with the mayor of Augusta either, because I did after we had spoken, I did go do some research and I saw that Augusta also was, you know, has been impacted. But what was fascinating to me was that the president now is saying, oh, he doesn't support. He thinks a little too early. So right. initially, I was like, well, Kemp has to be doing this because of pressure. He's trying to be in good graces with Trump. 
but and, and Trump is like I said, he he's a uh, he's two faced. He's very two faced. So look, he'll tell you one thing; it doesn't mean anything. So I'm surprised he wasn't applauding him. So right. that was something that was a little peculiar to me. I'm like, so is this some type of backdoor deal? I felt like they would have been pretty joint because Trump has been very vocal about wanting to open up America. And so when someone did it, who's in his party, for him to be somewhat critical was a little surprising to me. Me And like you said, it's hard to really say what went on behind the scenes. It could be one situation where Trump told him he was going to support him. And then when the backlash came out, he decided to you know, throw him under the bus. That might exactly. be one possibility. Other possibility might be some of the, maybe the bigger business here, businesses here were pushing Kemp to open and he felt that pressure and decided to do it on his own. Personally, I don't think he is that ambitious to do that. I really think it's probably the first thing that Trump told him one thing and now he's being left out to dry, basically. That to me is the one that makes the most sense. I would agree. I think he probably, you know, shook his hand and then stabbed him in the back. That <laughs> seems more to be his speed. The, which is so ridiculous. The other thing. So the other thing that's curious about that is I think the types of businesses that he's allowed in this first wave, because with us not having a vaccine, we don't have a timeline and for the virus to be presenting itself differently in terms of immunity, where it's really looking like you don't get immunity after you have it. Like people exactly. very quickly, the immunity may be for like a week, if that, and you can definitely get it again. So being at it, we're in a place where this is something that if you get it, it doesn't make you any stronger. Having the antibodies from what we know is not helpful to you. You're still at risk anyway. Exactly. You're talking about barber shops. Uh, massage therapists, I don't know why that was on there, hair salons, yeah. bowling alleys, gyms. You know, these are petri dishes of where this virus can spread. There's no way you can do the social distancing in the massage parlor or in the barbershop or in the hair salon, you know, just and definitely not in the gym. You know, honestly, I don't even know if I'm ever going to go back to a gym again after all this. You know, it made me really think of how unsanitary a gym can potentially be, even if it you is. wipe down everything. There's no way you can avoid that. People are sweating, sweats, uh, sweat's going to be flying when you're, you know, moving around and all that. So I know for me, I might not ever be back in the gym. I just don't see any way that that's possible. And like you said, a vaccine, if we even get one, is probably more than a year away. You know, this just makes sense, no sense on the human level of why you would endanger your constituents like this. And he's still giving no reason why. You know, initially he said, you know, the science backs this up and, you know, we researched this carefully. And our mayor, you know, Mayor Bottoms was like, what research are you looking at? I'd like to see it too, because we all have the same information. Every single scientist at the federal level has been saying this is not a good idea to be opening this early. What are you looking at that makes you think this is a good idea? And we've heard nothing from him, you know, since this, uh, edict uh, yesterday about some of the businesses opening. So it just kind of shows you, you know, what type of leadership we have down here, unfortunately. I mean, so, you know, online there are different conspiracy theories, and normally <laughs> I'm the person who does not support them, but a couple of them I, I'm going to say, you know, listen, it, you know, keep your third eye open. So... At this um, point, you got to entertain everything, honestly. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you do. So one of the theories is that, okay, especially the particular types of businesses 
like you said, hair salons, barbershops, massage parlors, bowling alleys. Ugh. Gym, <laughs> like these are all just just so wrong for what we're going through. But people feel that these are businesses that black people frequent. Black people, for those of you who are not black, um, <laughs> tend to grooming is a big part of our culture. And True. we take a lot of care and spend a lot of time and money. So economically, there's a lot of money uh, in the beauty industry in America and across the world. Black people over-index on spend, especially in personal care, okay? And this is if you work for any consumer products and goods uh, company, this is known from a business perspective, a product perspective, a marketing perspective. We over-index on spend, so you... If you want where them dollars at, it's from the black folk, okay? Mm-hmm. So these are, you know, we go more frequently, more often and spend more money than other populations. So for these to be opened, is this, oh, on top of, if we look statistically across the country, COVID is disproportionately impacting black and Hispanic communities, and so if you're now saying, huh, well, those folk are getting infected more than anybody else, and these are their businesses, is this a lack of concern for the life of people of African descent? I definitely think you can make that argument, because even as far as what you mentioned on the consumer end, I would even probably say a lot of the workers at these places are African-American as well. This, if you look at the socioeconomic status of the majority of us in this country, is going to be more so, not all jobs in that realm, but more so jobs on the uh, lower end, more so than white-collar jobs. So I think even on that side, when you're talking about just the workers are going to be endangered as well. I think it's a, I think it's a combination of potentially that and also just where this country values people on the middle class and lower scale. There's just really not much value to us outside of our labor. That's pretty much how they view us. And they want that labor uh, by any means necessary. If anybody's going to potentially get sick over there, they could care less as long as things on some level are up and running again. So it's really hard to even go against what you just said, that potential uh, just lack of disregard for people of color. We've already known that. But I think when you combine that with the economic fallout, it just makes it even seem more insidious. It's uh, so. Oh, don't forget movie theaters. We forgot about them. Gross, gross, gross. So, uh, so I just want to pause and leave that there because that's a hard pill to swallow. And Mm -hmm. yes, you could say it's coincidental and it's just by chance. And obviously, all Americans frequent all of these types of institutions, but just behaviorally culturally and economically, it does skew towards more black consumerism. And to your point, in these lower level, entry level jobs, we often, often have the population there as well as workers. So it's like, is there a disregard of life of people for color of color? Is that a thing? And we just want to have to leave it there. I'm not going to say yes or no. I'm just saying that we have not gotten the first wave of COVID under control Yet right. we're just opening the floodgates to have a second wave while the first wave was not even under control yet. And let me just add one other thing. I think most people know that uh, Atlanta, as of now, is still predominantly black. 
but also one thing for people who don't remember, uh, the Governor Kemp, he was just elected recently. He had that big contentious election with um, Stacey Abrams, mm. which some people may be familiar with. And there was a lot of um, controversy about voter disenfranchisement. A lot of that went on. It was never really resolved. And one thing that stood out to me, just observing the campaigns that they both were doing, Kemp never did any campaigning in Atlanta whatsoever. Nothing. Not a rally, mm. uh, voter outreach, nothing. He just pretty much wrote off Atlanta because it's predominantly black. You know, all his campaigning was done outside of the city, which is predominantly Republican. So when you look at it that way, you kind of also can see why he doesn't really have any regard for Atlanta personally and why he didn't even consult our mayor. When you look at it that way, he just looked at it as a write-off because that's and, not his yeah. base in his mind. Yeah, it's not his bait, so he's just playing to his constituents. So mm-hmm. let's flip it, right? Because I don't want it to be so heavy, like, oh, you know, it's a <laughs> it's a conspiracy to kill the black man. So fine. We're going to for <laughs> argument's sake, okay? I'm not saying that people are the devil, so I'm just trying to say we're just putting out ideas. And these we're not putting them out because these are literally conversations that are happening on social media very frequently these days. So the flip side is, okay. It wasn't targeted specifically to black people. It's just, you know, the economy can't suffer. People can't pay their bills. People want to pay their bills. So we want to open up, you know, to, to get the economy moving so people can pay their rent, their mortgages, etc. Second conspiracy theory I've heard is that, well, the government just gave you $1,200. You thought they was <laughs> going to give it to you to keep that $1,200? They need you to spend that $1,200. So they got to open up the businesses for you to go spend so they can get their money back. That makes a lot of sense because look at the name of the $1,200. Stimulus. You know, Mm -hmm. so by nature, they wanted it to stimulate the economy to a degree. Now, how they think people are going to do that with no jobs, I don't see. But even look at how resistant they are to doing another stimulus. They're like, I think I heard somebody from the Treasury was talking about that $1,200 should last us what, two or three months is what they were telling people? Stop it. Stop it. Right. So just imagine, you know, where you are, what your rent is. Rent is jumping down here in Atlanta where mortgages are costing. And just imagine if you had two and three kids. That $1,200 is gone within a couple of weeks. And you have 12- no job. Come on. $1,200 exactly. cannot pay for my rent in New Jersey. That's not enough for the rent. I'm sorry, my mortgage in New Jersey. Nor is mm-hmm. it enough to pay the rent in New York. So... Here we go. It literally could not, it doesn't like make a dent. It either way, it doesn't put pay the full amount. So, and I know different things vary across the country, but no matter where you live in the country, twelve hundred dollars it may contribute to a payment of a rent or a mortgage, but that's it. Exactly. And we talked about this on my last appearance. This is really pulled back how ugly the American version of communism, capitalism is here. The fact that, you know, all these big companies got all these big bailouts, even the small businesses got looked over in a lot of cases. That's why we have another bill on the table. But the whole fact that you're fighting tooth and nail just to get basic, you know, income to pay your bills, the government doesn't want to do it. You pay taxes all your life, and they're basically fighting tooth and nail just to give you $1,200? When you look at Canada, which is right next to us, they're getting 2000 a month until September. Mm. No questions asked to cover everything because they know how bad this is. They know people can't go to work. And we're supposed to be the richest country, the freest country in America, and you can't give everybody $1,200 a month at least? Look, I already said my next 
plan of action here is to 90 day fiance myself with a Canadian. Okay. <laughs> because that's, I, not, that's the, not a bad move. The way things are looking in America, I need to be looking across the border to the North. All right. right. Um, I, you know, all jokes aside, I, I think, yes, the, you could say from Kemp in Atlanta and the types of businesses he's opening, Yes, it's going to skew towards stereotypically to black people. But I think if we break apart all the conspiracy theories and we focus, you know, it always comes down to follow the money. That's what America is about. And if you guys ever want to understand why something is happening, follow the fucking money. All right. And so I, I do think it is tied to the stimulus and it's really tied to capitalism, short-term vision capitalism being the the premise of this country and us not being able to manage anything that has long-term effects, right? We don't know how to manage stuff past a quarter. We don't know how to, you know, short attention span. We don't know how to do that. So the crux of the matter is Kemp is probably feeling pressure from his constituents too, all right, who are saying, well, I'm not working, I'm not working, and you close everything down and we need to work, all right? But I think this is where as a country like this, you know, Georgia is just a microcosm for the debate and the crisis that we're in and the conundrum that we're in right now. It's a microcosm because the, the real the real issue here is, all right, for public safety and public health, you need to close everything down so that we can isolate this disease and stop the lessen the spread so that eventually we can get this under control. But at the same token, we have bills and everything that still are going to be due. So what does that mean? So you have two options. One, you say, fuck it. Look, I don't care about this public health. We need to get money spending because it's bills and people get upset. Or you have the government step in, which is option number two, and provide some social safety net so that people don't have to make this decision between their health and their economics and their finances. And from the president's tone, okay, and the Republican Party, and it's not just them, but a lot of people are like, well, my bills and money come first, and so we need to stimulate the economy. Public health comes second. But that's a tricky fucking decision to make and a very highly communicable in contagious disease. So if we don't really address that, which is, you know, all this other stuff is just smoke and mirrors and detractions from the real fucking issue as far as I'm concerned. And the real issue is, okay, when you have a public health crisis and people need to stay home for the safety of the community, what is the government going to do to support the people? Exactly. That's a good point. And it's like, like you said, when we talked about rent and mortgages, you know, the, I know the Democrats tried to put it on the table to suspend, I think it said mortgages and rent for a year. And, you know, some of those Republicans damn near had a heart attack when they said that. I don't even know if that's even feasible with the type of government that we have. But it makes sense because that's yeah. the main thing people are worried about. It's like, and that is so insane to me that you're going to risk your life to stimulate the economy when you know if you get sick, you have no safeguards. You'll be even in more debt because, you know, your family probably won't even have enough money to even bury you. Exactly. And so we're at, I, I, we're living in a time that I'm like, God damn, like this is, 
this is um, teetering, right? And I'm not an alarmist. I don't think that this is going to be Armageddon and then, you know, there's going to be I am legend and people are going to be out here shooting and all types of crazy things. I don't, you know, I think we can, we're not going to have civil unrest. I knock on wood. Listen, I could be wrong. I was wrong about Ferguson. But listen, I could be wrong. I, I don't, I don't think we're going to get to that point. But this is where, like, politics, you know, are real. So I can't even say politics aside, because unfortunately the politics are playing out in a battle of human life versus money, right? And it mm-hmm. and as a country, we go back and forth on what we really stand for. On one side of the mouth, America, America, land of the free, home of the brave, number one country. We take care of people. You can make it here. You can make it anywhere. All that stuff. America is great, number one, right? On the second half, it's like, well, sucks for you. <laughs> sucks for you. Like, you don't have no money and you're going to die. Well, that's too bad. The show must go motherfucking on. So if you want to be dead in the street, I don't care. I, I gave you $1,200. Make it last. And that's it. And yeah, so, use that, use that twelve hundred and start a business. Pick yourself up by your your bootstraps. That's no yeah. money. <laughs> so I, I we're like really in this whole like, what does America stand for? What is the heart of America? You know, I think you got half of the country who is like, you know, it's about taking care of the people, the greater good, and half the country is like, no, where them dollars at? Fuck what you heard. It's about money, and that's that. And when you have it, it's such a dichotomy. It's not. And people are like, oh, it's my not. No, it's not. There are a lot of people who want businesses open. I'm telling you, it's true. I've had conversations with people. Same here. I can give you some examples. There are a lot of people who want it open. And I'm telling people who are older and, sitting, and I'm like, don't you know you are at risk? And they don't care. Like, I can't wait till it opens. And I'm like, okay. So, and, and it, these are just two different philosophies. And so some people think, it doesn't, you know, they think it's survival of the fittest. It's just a cold. They're going to be fine. Although the statistics don't show that, but that's what they think. And let's open stuff up. And then what will be, will be people just die. It's okay. But the, the show must go on. And then the other side of people are like, hey, for the safety of the people and for us to have like, to, to break, you know, to break our public health down, system down, we need to shelter in place until we can, from a scientific perspective, manage this and go forward. And if it's 50-50, where do you land? Where do you end up? I unfortunately think it has to get even worse before everyone gets on the same page. Because like you said, there's still people out there where this hasn't affected them. You know, I know people who have lost three and four family members to this, even though I know one person. Well, actually, I also have a relative that um, contracted it and recovered. And I think you mentioned before, uh, my relative worked at Rikers. Yeah. And luckily, she was able to recover. So I think there's still a lot of people out there who don't have any personal experience with this yet. And I think yeah. once that happens, then you'll see a big shift. Because even before, we were talking about how we still felt that you know Trump was a lock to win. But the way he's been bumbling this is making me think. Because, you know, it's one thing to be racist. You know, a lot of America kind of doesn't care about that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But it's one thing to start messing with people's money and their livelihood. You know, when people get scared, you know, they'll do a a full 180. So I think if this continues to get worse, as it looks like it's probably going to get, we're probably going to get a big second wave, then I can see him possibly not making it or uh, getting reelected in November. 
Because obviously so far the way he's been handling this, he's just completely out of his depth. So we see that. But do you think others, his supporters, see that? Because they're diehard. They're diehard. Not, they're not there yet, but if things stay the way they've been going or get worse over the next two and three months, then I think that's when we'll see a shift. I think because we're so divided, I think the blame blade is very easy. And, and let me say this. I'm not supporting all the shit they're saying on the left either. I, right. I'm a person of, I support common sense and evidence-based facts. Like, that's what I support, okay? I'm a very pragmatic person. So to me, it's not about left or right. It's just like, what's logical? What makes the most sense? And, you know, what, how do you, there is a balance, you know, safety with public safety and public health. Um, which, but I think that comes first. For me, that comes first, honestly, over the economics. Because right. it doesn't help if you go to work and then you're dead. I mean, if, if, if all your employees die or say, and then, listen, let me take that back. The other argument people have is that, look, the majority of people recover. Okay. <laughs> I want to be careful with that, though. That is under the premise that we are taking precautions so that there's a limit of exposure. I think we've also seen some of that, that the first information that we got, like, oh, it's elderly people. That is not what is showing. That's not what's happening. I'm telling you, like, yes, there are elderly people, but there are people of all ages and also people without underlying health issues who are succumbing to this disease. It has a much higher fatality rate than the flu. Okay. (laughs) I want everyone to just understand that. And on top of this, we understand circumstances that we're, we haven't been living normally. Like, it hasn't been like everyone's freely flowing. Like, it has been like within, if people might feel delays happen. But regardless, there still were precautions and things that were taking effect to try to limit exposure of this, right? So it hasn't been a free-for-all in America of like, oh, COVID's flowing around and we're all just chilling. That's, that hasn't happened. Exactly. <clears throat> Honestly, with me, I treat it like like the plague, to be honest with you, because you really don't know how your body's going to react to it unless you get it. And of course, you don't want to be in that position. So even though I'm relatively healthy, I don't know how this would affect me if I got it. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm treating everyone as potentially having it. That's why I've been staying in the house for the majority of the time, go out to empty the trash, maybe a post office run and maybe a food run. And that's it. And I'm in the house. I mean, because you don't want to get it. I know healthy people who have gotten it that have been sicker than they've felt in their entire life. Lost weight, couldn't get out of bed, headaches, all types of stuff. And it's like, you don't know how your body's going to react until you get it. So it's like, why put yourself in that position if you can avoid it? And that goes back to what you say about opening the economy. It's one thing if it was a disease that you couldn't easily catch, but we see how quickly it can spread. We're over 50,000 people dead in this country alone. Yeah. You know, why would you even risk that for anything? Because... Yeah, exactly. Because what? Is because is your identity that tied to labor and what you can generate? That might be part of it. Because you know, for some people, their whole identity or a big part of their identity is tied to the work that they do. Mm-hmm. So the whole idea of not being able to do anything, even if just for a couple of weeks or a month, you know, they feel kind of worthless to a degree. You know, they talked about how these some of these couples. I don't know how true that is, you know, on the verge of divorce now and constant arguments because they're having to spend all this time together. 
you know, because they don't have the relief of going to work. You know, for mm -hmm. me, it's not like that. But I think some of that ties into people, too. They don't really have any type of sense of self outside of what they do for a living. Oh, no, 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 no. That couple thing is true. It's not my life, but listen, oh, the people <laughs> at work, oh, yes, they're going through oh, yeah. it. They're going through it. Oh, yes. These mm, people can't crazy, wait man. to break free, um, <laughs> which is... Oh, that's insane to me. They can't wait me to being a life. writer too, I you know I try to put myself out of that into other people's shoes. But I also have a you know I had a white collar job too, so that balance to me is easy. Not having to go into an office, that's no issue for me. I know, and I, but I think this is comes back to you know acknowledging our privilege, right? So true, true. We are in a position because I you know I've, I saw you another argument I saw, and and so I think that the economic pressure is one thing. I think there's some people. So the people who want to go back, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna vilify you and paint and paint you all with one brush. I think there are some cross sections here. There are people who one feel the economic pressures, right? You know, um, forty percent of Americans are unable to uh, have savings of less than four hundred dollars. Okay, mm -hmm. um, and so we have a large percent of Americans who are working paycheck to paycheck, and even if you aren't working paycheck to paycheck. Most people, you need to have income coming in to be able to support your bill. You know, no one has indefinite funds where they can just siphon off and even have a nest egg. It can only be for a few months. Most people don't have uh, funds where you can not work or have no income coming in and survive for extended periods of time. So I think one group has the economic pressure. They've been impacted because of their jobs, things shut down, they don't work, and they want things to open up because they need money, right? That the stimulus is one little check, and employment, you know, if they qualify might be enough, but it's just not enough to go around. So they have an economic pressure, and it's because of that that they're willing to risk their health for, health for survival. I think that's one. The second cross-section is people who I think are privileged in... in just think, oh, I like my way of life. I like being outside. This has impacted my way of life. I'm not able to move freely. I feel stifled. So I want to be able to get a haircut. In Colorado, that was a big sign, a protester sign. I want a haircut. I'm like, <laughs> okay. All right. So with people who, um, it's not necessarily economic, but it's just their whole thing of, like I said, they're stuck at home with their families. They can't take it. Uh, not having the freedom to move around is making them feel uncomfortable. Although I feel like most parts of America, you can drive. So you could just go in a car and clear your head. But I'm going to leave that alone. That's mm -hmm. two. All right. You can go for a walk. Just put your mask on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think that's the second cross section. And the third one is I think the business owners, the politicians, people of influence who whose livelihood, and it's not necessarily their survival, right? Because I think we need to take a distinction between livelihood and survival, right? Because I think right. some people, it's like, listen, my money doesn't come in. My my rent is done. I can't pay for my children's medicine. Like there's real things where surviving is at risk. Now, if you have a business with decent cash flow, you can maybe adjust. But, you know, some of them, some people, it, listen, all businesses are not like, doing so well. So some of them, it is survival, right? And so because mm -hmm. they want to survive, they need to also, they want to get business going, right? But then other people, it's like, mm, this is an inconvenience for my business. And so politically, 
And business-wise, I want this. So to me, it's like, it's different reasons why people want to open up. And I want to acknowledge that. Like some people, it really is a survival issue. And that's why they wanted to, while they're willing to put their risk at, their, their, their health at risk. Other people, though, y'all are just bullshitting. Oh, I'm just timing home and more. And it's not real. It's not real. It's just a convenience issue for you. And for you, you risk uh, your health because you want the convenience of going to the movies. And thinking about that, you're risking the health of the workers all so you can be entertained, so you can get your hair cut, or you can, like you said, go to the movies and all that. You're not even thinking anything about the workers. You just want something to do. Like you said, your way of life is being inconvenienced. Yeah. And this is all getting conflated, but there are different reasons. So to me, you take out the issue of survival when the government steps in to help the people, right? And I think then that's less support for all of this stuff because it's like, okay, you take the survival out of the equation where people are getting uh, some safety net to help them move forward, then what you're left with are people because of a whim and convenience way of life or businesses who for their own, you know, wealth want to keep going, but it's not necessarily, again, a survival thing. It's just because, oh, well, this is what I want uh, because I'm in a person of influence and I need things going, but it's not survival for them. So I, I really think we, for me, the biggest thing is to take survival out of the equation, but the way our country's set up is not. Like, how are we going to do that? That's a very good question. At this point, it seems like, it, like we were talking about, this has to get worse before it dawns on the country, or really the pressure has to get put on because uh, the Republicans control the Senate and the House. Once their constituents, like you said, start putting more and more pressure, then, then we'll see more leeway as far as maybe opening up more funds so people can have not having to worry about that pressure of, well, how can I pay my rent and how can I pay my necessities because the $1,200 is gone. I think once that happens, then we can see a little bit more of um, softening of some of these restrictions, possibly. Um, but at this point, nobody needs to be going back to work. That needs to be off the table. There needs to be enough money coming into people where they're not even considering that. And I was like, take care of their their need for survival. And, and we then, forgot, when you mentioned about the small businesses, you know, they still have to pay rent on a lot of their um, locations, too. That hasn't been frozen. That's another reason why some of them, even the smaller ones, will want the economy open back up because it's trying to make at least anything just to stay afloat. Right. Yeah. And so, like, if the government were taking care of those needs, right, where the small businesses, the average worker were getting the right su support to be able to not worry about that, then we could really put the public health first and foremost. But when when people are threatened with you know, the, the initial survival tactics of like, hey, I can't afford my bills, I can't, they, they're going to choose that first. They're going to choose that livelihood. That's They're going to choose that first. So that is... That is the hard part, you know. That's the hard part of all of this, and we're not really, we're not really acknowledging that. But you know, a flip side, I want to say, my sister, not the one you heard, another sister, my talking to my other sister this morning, and okay. uh, she was saying, you know, we were talking about like, you know, I was like, God, you know, since it came to America, the news we're not hearing enough about Italy and Spain because it would be helpful to see how they're progressing since they were ahead of us, right? But because America is all fucked up now. All the news is about America. <laughs> and my sister told me, oh, yeah, she saw an article that, you know, 
Italians are now like coming together to sue the Italian government about COVID. Mm. And I was like, that's tricky. And I, and I think about how that would even play out in America. I just think, I was like, that's true. And I understand that. I said, well, why? She said, well, because they feel like they could have handled it better and told them up front and people could have better protected themselves. And I said, well, shit, can't we say the goddamn same thing? And Absolutely. I said, the other thing is, which is, I'm very curious because Italy is one thing, but America's super litigious. If Because I feel like this is going to come up at some point. The well, same actually, camp- you know what? You just reminded me something. There is a rental strike that is supposed to be happening in New York for May. I'm not sure how big it is. Some places are reporting that it's the biggest rental strike in nearly a century. I don't know how much hyperbole that is. I didn't get a chance to read it. But at least there is a rental strike that is on tap for May in New York. Well, I, I think, but didn't, um, actually, what I'm talking about, no, no one told me I don't have to pay my rent, so that's true. I was like, you know, I still have to pay my rent, so I'm talking about, no, no one said anything, I'm still paying it. Mm, um, I think it's just been like, have conversations with the landlord, no one's actually said anything specifically about a freeze. I mean, this is my thing about America being litigious. The same way Brian Kemp can open businesses, if I'm an employee and I have to go to work now, because my employer opened up and I catch COVID at work. I feel like I have every right to sue my fucking employer. I feel like I have every right to sue my employer. So I want us to really, as a very litigious society, because all of y'all Italy and y'all don't got nothing on us. Okay. (laughs) Y'all don't got nothing on us when it comes to lawyering up. I'm very curious about all of this from a legal perspective, because here you are, saying that the economy is takes precedent over public health and public safety. So now you're doing this, and if someone now catches it, they get sick or they, they unfortunately pass away from this, I feel like the families and those people have every right to sue you. And if I were those those companies, I would sue fucking the governor and, and the state of Georgia and be like, well, you told me. And you know what? This is a time when you can find out how badly we might be screwed from a legal standpoint. And this is when you find out these little laws that were passed that you never knew about before. Um, we see a lot of that with these um, these police shootings that happen. Mm-hmm. A lot of times those states didn't realize they had certain laws in place, you know, how deeply an officer is protected when they say that they fear for their life. A lot of people weren't aware of that beforehand. So I can see this case because um, you already know the nursing homes they're pushing mm. laws where they can't be sued. They're already, they're already thinking ahead doing that. So mm. who knows what's already on the books that might prevent a worker here in Georgia from suing the government for a medical situation like that. They might already have something in the books like that where you're not even allowed to sue. True, true. It wouldn't even surprise me. Now, we should be looking into it, but the way you know this country works, I'm pretty sure they already have stuff like that ironclad where workers don't have any rights. Because you see how against... Uh, unions we are in this country anyway. I know, I know. So I know it varies state to state, but knowing how Georgia is, because we're at will state number one, you can be let go for any reason. So Uh (laughs) it would be an uphill battle. But, you know, your case that you're saying is perfectly logical and legit. If I'm forced to go back to work and get sick, I should be able to sue. Yeah, I, I'm just, you know, I don't know. And I don't know if they might try to, like, put this under, like, natural disaster. So, so you know, because a lot of insurance clauses are like, you know, if it's a act of God or nature, they won't do it. You know what I mean? They won't cover it. But mm-hmm. I, I'm just curious because, actually, you bring up a great point. Nursing homes. If anyone should be getting sued right now across the country, 
Absolutely. It's nursing. So I told you before we recorded, my mom has a friend who, uh, you know, she's physically healthy, but she was in a nursing home or some type of living f- assisted, assisted living facility because she has Alzheimer's and she passed away from COVID and she got it there. And we, there was a case in New Jersey the other day. I saw the headline where they got tipped off because they were, they had 40 bodies in a shed or something because people were dying off and they don't want to alarm the authorities. Exactly. Hit it. That's what that is. I mean, we talk about, so I'm going to actually, I should have my sister on this. I can tell a, it doesn't surprise me at all. I think a lot of people don't know. And I, uh, nursing homes are, like, that's another episode. I could actually go really deep into that. I could go really deep into that. I, I'm just going to say that if there was any case for litigation of negligence and putting people at risk um, and, you know, on I don't know unintentional homicide it's it's a nursing it's a nursing homes which because the 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 reason they're like that is this that again it's a microcosm for a fucking america it's the the greed of these these nursing homes and they there's not the proper care there uh you have one you know you have low skilled workers who are very lowly paid and they're taking care of like 30 patients at a time half-assed, not using the right supplies, not using any protocol. It's disgusting. Absolutely. I think out of the 50,000 people that have died so far, I think over 10,000 of them have been people at nursing homes. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys, the nursing homes, like the qualifies as assisted living facilities, um, rehabilitation centers. A lot of times these are all similar types of institutions under a similar category or even in the same venue. Um, and they are fucked up. And, and and I can tell you that from personal experience, having to research one time to find one um, and, and help for my people in my family and outside of my family, awful places. And that's why I've made, we've made some like very specific decisions when my grandmother's not in one and she's home and we have living aids because I'm telling you, if my grandmother's there, she'd be gone, gone. Yeah. Nursing mm-hmm. homes are awful. And so I think they have every right to sue. I think they have every fucking right to sue. And I don't know. I I'm, I'm, don't know how this is going to play out because we have the government supporting a lot of this bullshit. But if you have a loved one who I understand why people do it, it's hard to have that burden and you don't have necessarily the right skills and um, you don't have the skills to take care of it or the resources at home. So that's why a lot of times it's, it's an act of love sometimes. So I'm not knocking people for them. I hate them, but I'm not knocking people who have family members in nursing homes, but it's been a nightmare. That's where it started in what Seattle and Washington. It was the first breakout was in a nursing home. That's true. Yeah. And it, <sighs> them trying to get immunity is just so ridiculous to me, but it's really gone under the radar. I don't know where it is in legislation. I don't know how that would work to grant them all immunity, but that's what they're working towards. And if they get it, it would just be, ugh. Wouldn't surprise me, you know, you know, this administration, but it would be so, such an affront to everybody that's lost loved ones that you wouldn't be able to get any type of recourse whatsoever for basically your uh, family member uh, being killed. Essentially, like you said, negligent homicide. Hmm. I mean, if there's anything that changes out of all of this, I would like to see that change. It, truth be told, like, you know, all of us were able to... I would like to see a change because that is like the ultimate vulnerable population. And 
just being decimated. You know, and it's not just because of their age, right. guys. It's because of the cleanliness, the resourcing, the lack of protocol. That's what's happening in these facilities. So I know I went on a nursing yeah. home rant, but I'm just saying, because when I really think about this and litigation, I I really wonder, like, when, I, I guess, Kemp and Trump must feel emboldened because, you're right, there probably are some laws on the books where people can't do it. They can't right. sue it. And no. it's, it's no problem that you went on a rant because a lot of people need to be made aware of this because you know you know someone in your family that's in the nursing home. Right. So people need to be aware of this and check on their family members if they haven't already because this is no joke. Yeah. No, it, it wipes out dozens of people at these facilities depending on the type of care that they're getting and the precautions that they're um, taking or not taking. It is not a yeah. game. Yeah, and it's been it's been bad. You guys. It's been bad, and there's, those are not necessarily coming up in the news feed because we're talking about Teddy Riley and nurses and shit. <laughs> but um, if the nursing homes have, if you want to see how fucked up this is, like, you know, and then we're talking about going to work. You know what I'm saying? Go back to work. Like that. That's a unique case, but it also shows the contagion. You know what I mean? Like how serious this is. So. Just be, don't think just because they're old that they're getting it. You know, they weren't, they're confined, right? But the workers are coming in and out. There's so many different things that are happening. Don't just think that you're immune or you're just going to be fine because you see Idris Elba or, <laughs> or what's the Cuomo, Chris Cuomo, fine, right? Those are also very wealthy people. They're not you, okay? You know, they're eating organic everything and doing all this stuff. They're not you, all right? So I want yeah, you to exactly. be, they have access to doctors who will be there at their whim and the best education and the best resources. If you have regular ass insurance or your regular ass job, your doctor, no, 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 no. I'm telling you no. So um, just be, just be smart, you know? I know, and I know that survival pressure is hard. So it, I, I think fundamentally it. Yeah, actually, I'm saying we're 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 at a conundrum or like a a crossroads, but I don't think we are because, uh, truth be told, what I'm well, no, 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 okay, I'm, I'm walking that back. I can't say that. <laughs> I live in New York, mm-hmm. and the public health and safety has them put first. So let me not say that because I can't I can't pay a wide brush. I do think that we're a very divided nation. Cuomo has been like, if y'all mad, you're not going back to work. It's because of me, and I I, I give him. I give him props for that. Look, let me say this. Cuomo is shining because the leadership in this country is trash. Cuomo is not a guy that New Yorkers have liked. All right. Cuomo is not a person who's been like people have been a big fan of. But in this time of crisis, and then we have the leadership of the likes of Trump, of Kemp. And you saw that interview with Anderson Cooper and the woman from what of Las Vegas, the mayor of Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's a. A nut. Who wants to open the casinos? <laughs> now, from what I heard, she doesn't have any um, power over that because they're their own jurisdiction, that particular area of the Strip. Thank God. Thank God. But um, that would be a complete disaster if she did have the power to do that. Yeah. But, we, you know, what we're seeing, it, it depends. You know, this the United States of America is... I, I think this is COVID is just ex- exposing so much shit because number one, the same way you're seeing what's her name, Mayor Bottoms of Atlanta, in mm-hmm. fighting with Kemp, uh, De Blasio in 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 
Cuomo, they've been fighting a little bit too. <laughs> you know, they, they're eventually on the same page, but it hasn't been all hunky-dory between these two. And so the whole like local versus federal, mayor versus governor, we're we're the most un we're the most ununited states <laughs> ever. I feel like I just feel like we're so divided. Okay, the title ununited states. Okay, sorry. <laughs> like, That's a good one. The have and the have nots. We we're seeing that very clearly now. But then now, okay. I haven't heard with Cuomo. I haven't heard a lot of people mention. Well. It kind of went under the radar. As far as him doing, like, cutting Medicaid, like, how much of that is actually true? Did, did he really cut? I don't know. Was it mean in the crisis now or before? From, I heard that this was happening in early March, so before things got really bad, that he had voted or approved to cut Medicaid, and I heard there was a little bit of uproar about that. But then once everything started happening with COVID, I kind of didn't hear about it anymore. So I didn't know if that had any potential effect on what's going on now, or is that still something that's going to be, like, kind of down the line? So I think he did cut. I think he did pass a budget a budget cut earlier this year that did impact, you know, Medicaid. I do I do think that did happen. But like you said, it you know with COVID taking the the spotlight, you know, we're not hearing about those things, right? So he I think he did slash Medicaid funding um, earlier this year. Uh, and also, he was um, electing more officials from his own party. So listen, Cuomo, you know, this is a weird fucking state we're in right now. He's <laughs> getting all these these props, right? He's he's getting all these props, and, and he is showing up well. So I'm not going to knock him for that. But this is not a guy who's been, like, upstanding and doing the right shit. Like, you know, he just, in this moment is exhibiting leadership as we have really shitty leadership to compare them to. The best thing most people in America can learn is these politicians are not your friends. I mean, you look at them closely, you see the ones that can benefit your interests, and then you vote accordingly. Mm -hmm. That's as far as it needs to go. Some people, they latch on to these politicians way too much. We've seen that in the primary, especially the Democratic primaries, where it almost becomes kind of cult-like as far as, um, you know, when your candidate doesn't win, it's just like, you're just done. You know, I don't want to be involved in the process anymore, period. But do you see now how these politicians can have so much sway over your way of life? So as aggravating as it may be, you do have to stay in the process and you do have to watch these people very, very closely. Because they are making decisions now that we're going to have effects on, you know, pretty much how this country is going to be run and how our lives are going to be run for the foreseeable future. Yeah. No, he, he I think, was focused on closing the budget gap and that's how Medicaid got cut. And then look where we are now, you know, like, you know, I, I know everyone is like budget, blah, blah, but we're in a pandemic and a crisis. So what is it going to be? It's really going to be health, public safety versus money. And and like you said earlier, you know, as far as like, if you need to work because you feel like you just have to pay the bills and all that, what happens to your family if you get sick and can't work no more or if you get sick and die? Like, unfortunately, you're going to have to weigh the the worst possible scenario. And the worst possible scenario would be you getting sick and then you can't do anything for your family. Or even worse, you getting sick and spreading it to the rest of your family. But this is the thing. If they think they're going to get sick and get better, because truth, look, the, the argument you see online, I see it all the time. The majority of people recover. So they're like, well, I'm going to be the majority. I'm going to recover. Right. <laughs> 
So mm-hmm. they're like, you know, yeah, I'm going to get sick, but I got sick all the time. And what's the difference? And I still work. So I'm not, you're trying to fuck up my bag. Let me get my little cold and get continue bag, to work. Right? That's what they think. <laughs> so in that case, like you said, you got to protect people from themselves. That's where you said, like you said, the government has to come in if the government has any sense. And we shall find that out in the next couple of weeks with the next um, CARE Act that they're supposed to pass. I, I think we're at we're having, as a country, an existential crisis. That's what I was thinking of. It's an existential crisis. And we're not clear. And, and we're not clear. And we're also not united on what is more important. Is it A, public health, public safety? Or is it two, or slash B, you know, economics, money, right. business? We're not clear. It's pretty... It's divided. Some people is public health, other people it's not, and it's not it's not close. It's not like overwhelmingly going to other one direction or the other. So you're right. The only way the move the the needle is going to move here is if, unfortunately, the pandemic worsens, where it's personally affecting them, where then they'd be like, okay, fine, because I think that's really what it is. It's not personally impacting anyone. I I caught up with a coworker. This week, um, a woman who's retirement age, a white lady, and she's like, oh, this is overkill. And I'm like, yeah, my dad's <laughs> cousin died. This person died. You know, my mom's cousin. I'm telling all these people. And she's like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, it's not overkill. <laughs> you know, they're all exactly. your age or younger and they died. It's not overkill. But because it hasn't personally impacted her, she, you know, is kind of taking it like, oh, they're being, you know all over the place with this. It's not a big deal. And unfortunately, it does take a lot of people won't care about something until it comes to their doorstep. Exactly. That's what it's going to take, unfortunately. None of us really wants to see that because, you know, the disease is indiscriminate. So when you talk about a second wave, if we end up with 100,000 people potentially dying from this, you know, it's not going to pick and choose, you know. So that means the majority of us are going to be impacted some type of way again, even more so than the ones of us ones of us that have already been impacted. So no one wants to see it get worse, but that's the only way I see people waking up. Because like you mentioned, as far as that divide, I don't think the government's divided. I think the government is like 70-30 that the economy is more important as of right now. Right. And unfortunately, if it gets worse, because even, um, what's his name, uh, Mitch McConnell, he's basically, he tried to say that New York needs to go file bankruptcy, basically. And in other words, y'all just need to die a little bit more and hit rock bottom. And then we'll see what we can do when their state takes out more money in federal aid and is getting subsidized by states like New York, which is crazy to me. But like you said, it's that disconnect. People don't look at it that way. You know, it's such an entitlement when you're not being affected or devastated personally. And as bad as Kentucky is in some areas, it's nowhere near what's happening in New York and Georgia and other states. So yeah. it's not hitting them the same way. So they can, they, they're in a, a place of privilege to say something like that. Well, oh, yeah, just file bankruptcy. Yeah, and, and then we like have the urban and rural money. divide, right? There is the country is also divided that way. The more urban and more populous areas are disproportionately impacted. So if you're in Idaho or wherever, you're like, these people are overacting. It's not happening to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. it's because you live in the fucking middle of nowhere. <laughs> that's that's why, you know. Exactly. Um, you know, one last one last thing I, I want to bring up and I think wrap it up. My, you know, I. I was talking to my sister Brooklyn, and I said, you know, I, I learned so I, I learned a lot during this pandemic. So I I don't want to go into the details of my work, but I happen to have conversations with people who I don't work with, but like um, 
Mm-hmm. Let's call them customers, if you will. And you got OnlyFans now? What were you trying to say? Stop it. And <laughs> we were talking about like, oh, where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm in New York. And they're like, you know, oh my God. Da, da, da. I'm like, hey, you know, where are you? So one person was like, oh, I'm, I'm in LA. And I'm like, oh, okay. They're like, oh, but you know, I went to Montana because my family has a house there because, you know, I thought it was going to get too crazy in LA. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. And then I had a call with, again, somebody else. And they were like, oh, I actually do live in Manhattan, but, you know, it's too cramped for me and my, you know, my wife and my child. So, you know, we went to our vacation house in Massachusetts. Right. Wow. And then, so then I've had all these conversations recently where I was like, you know what? And then, and then my, and then my oldest sister, we were talking, she's like, oh, you know, um, a lot of, you know, Wall Street, Wall Street folks are not in the city. They all went to their summer houses. And I said, you know what? Holds up, holds up, holds up. Mm-hmm. When we talk about divide, we don't even realize this, right? Because the statistics came out on this week, a couple of days ago, about the breakdown of, um, there's like a sample, they were doing some antibodies or something. And then Cuomo sent out uh, some tweets on some statistics of how people are, which populations are being impacted. So Black and Hispanic were the highest um you know, p- positive in the demographic, it was, let me say, I have it here. Latino, Hispanic, 22.5%. Uh, black, 22.1%. Multiracial, 22.8%. Asian, 117 White, 9.1%. Mm. So the people of color, especially the Black and Hispanic, are, you know, disproportionately impacted here. And the white people are 9.1%. But I said, hold up. What I've also learned is that white people fucking fled. They don't got to be here. <laughs> right. They don't got to be here in the belly of the fucking beast. And then I was like, hold up to my sister. And I've had this conversation with both of them today now. I said, well, look, we're fucked. I said, me and my oldest sister live in New York. Our parents live in New Jersey. I said, where the fuck we going? We just in, you know, nothing, you know. You're in the epicenter if you're in New York, and then the second highest state is New Jersey. So this is crazy. I said, we need to think about a summer house. I said, we've never had that conversation in our lives as a family. We've never even thought about it. It's never been a thing. But I said, this has also taught me that sometimes you need to get the fuck out this bitch. And Black people, Hispanic people, that's not even a thing we even talk about. We don't have the privilege this is not something that we even consider because, you know, you're just coming from survival mode. These people, you know why they're surviving? Because they're not here. Uh-huh. And, and I that was is like, a massive privilege. Like you said, just to be able to leave and go to another state and another home that's already set up and just wait it out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So th- there's no news articles about that. But I said, hold up. We got to <laughs> understand what's actually happening. A lot of people bounced. A lot of white people also bounced. They're like, ooh, this is epicenter. I'm leaving. And they left. <laughs> and they yep. left. And they went to a more isolated space, which again, we talk about the urban versus the rural divide, which you're just going to have less exposure because it's not as many people. There's not a lot of in- interaction. And so they're able to wait this out. However right, long it takes. Yep. I said, I want my bunker too. I don't <laughs> have no bunker. You know, and we're talking, I was like, you know, I live in an apartment, my sister lives in an apartment, like, we don't have the backyard. My middle sister, she doesn't live in New York or New Jersey, so she's fine, but she's still close enough where she's, you know, um, I'm like, at least you have a backyard and stuff my parents do. I'm like, I'm in a damn concrete jungle, my sister is too. <laughs> and 
don't have no bunker. I mean, I want a bunker. Why not? <laughs> Sign me up for one too. So I, I that that was just a revelation too in terms of for me differences in experience, right? Like we take stuff sometimes very like oh black white you know racing, but it's deeper than that. Like okay, besides black people being on the front lines and working like lower level jobs and Hispanic people blah blah, white people can leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I ain't gotta deal with it, period. They can they can skirt skirt out of here. And I'm like, wow, privilege. Somebody needs to write about that. Write about that. <laughs> Cause like I said, I haven't, you haven't seen anything from that type of angle. Yeah, I haven't. Listen, Gwen, listen, this is why again we have these stories to share, y'all, in the podcast. Cause it's 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 revelations. Listen, we're all learning every day. If you're a young babe to, you know, a senior citizen, there's things to be learned every day. I feel like I am continuously learning, especially through this um, pandemic. And I guess I would say I have touch points with people who are in the 1% or are wealthier, right? So, you know, we're not in the same demographic, right? But I have interactions that are more than transactional, where we can have conversations for me to really understand what's going on with them. And I learn a lot. I'm like, ooh, we live such different lives. <laughs> right. I said, well. So that's a privilege in itself for me to know that because it the thought didn't even click in my head. You know what I mean? I didn't even think about it. Like, oh yeah, just go to your summer house, go to your vacation home. Yeah. Simple as that. Um yeah, my sister's like, oh, do you want to get one in Martha's Vineyard? I said, like, girl, I don't know. I'm not even thinking about that. I'm just saying that we haven't ever talked about it as a family. It's never been a thing. And I said, honestly, it would have been cool for me. Like, I would love to see my parents. I can't. I actually happened to have a doctor's appointment this week. I had a telemedicine visit. And he's same. my parents go to the same doctor. And he told me, he's like, no, don't see them. He's like, stay away. I was like, I am. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I'm like, I'm, I'm staying away. But, you know, if we had had a bunker, maybe I wouldn't have had to. That's a good point. It's funny because um, I had a family member that recently passed, and we've come into some, there's no property down there, but there's some land in Virginia. And, of course, there's a debate because, you know, the land is split up between different family members, whether to sell it, you know, and just get the money and run. But it's like property and land is so valuable. And there's enough acres there where we could put a home there that the family could just have in a situation like this just to go to. Something's happening, bam. You can leave the state, go to Virginia, relax, wait it out. You know, so I'm making yeah. sure I'm going to bring back this example that you just mentioned to them next time we bring it up about whether to sell it or not. Please do. Listen, this was an eye-opener to me, too. I was like, I haven't been th- I've been so focused on quote-unquote survival. Like, okay, I'm, I'm thankful, I'm employed, things like that. You know, my, my rental property, I'm thinking about things like that because, you know, this, there's issues now with, you know, payments and of tenants and you know stuff like that. I'm thinking about survival, but right. there's different. There's there's levels to this shit, right? There's levels to this shit. Certainly, <laughs> and that's something I didn't think. So you know, if your family has land, an opportunity, I would say, like, listen, black people, we are so. Oh my god, like you know, I I I find myself in these situations all the time, and it's it's okay. You know, I'm in my 30s learning it, but shit, I'm listen, I'm learning it. Like, yeah, our experiences are so different. And sometimes we're not thinking about uh, the same things because we are so busy surviving or in our day-to-day. But your family has property and land in VA, 
yeah, have that conversation. Should we have a family home, a vacation home? Because mm-hmm. it's it's it comes in use right now. Like you guys, it comes in use. If if people were able to escape and not have to be on the subway or be in a densely populated area, that makes a difference. You know, you could be protesting that you need a haircut because it's not affecting you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's great. An opportunity It's something we've never discussed at all as a family. But I also realized that, hey, that is also another way why only 9% of white people in New York City are infected because they bounced. <laughs> this guy out there. Very so, good point. Man, it's life is weird. All these little lessons of privilege and experience, they're so nuanced. And, you know, just um, people think racism or systematic racism is like, KKK and sheets. You know what I mean? Like, racism isn't like that. You know, privilege isn't like that. It isn't just like someone comes out and they have on, you know, you know, their clan gear or, you know, saying some wild racist shit openly. It's these nuances of how the upper hand you've had impact the generational wealth and the livelihood and experiences of your families. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the way people need to start looking at it. And hopefully that will be one thing that people take out of this situation going forward, at least from an economic standpoint. Because we, like you said, most of us have not thought like that. It's just been focused on day-to-day, nine-to-five grind. You're not looking at it. How can I empower my family, you know, generationally? Or even if I have the opportunity, why, why did I come into this situation. You know, it doesn't start with you. It doesn't start with your parents. It goes back further than that. It's a very big picture to look at. Very sobering, too. Yeah. Yeah. I said, you know, here it is. I'm sorry about my parents in Jersey and all this stuff. Man, they shouldn't be there. You know what I mean? I wish I had a place for, for them. We had a place for them to be, you know? And then thinking about, like, okay, you know, think, you know, my parents are homeowners. This is great. You know, I'm a homeowner as well but you know it's been geographically close by not understanding the importance like the vacation home is you know people feel it's a flex okay you guys are thinking of a flex but at this point it's more than a flex it's a bigger right. than a flex because it's actually like a place for survival a place that can get you out of um you know your immediate area and if i even think back and i didn't even um if i think about september 11th Shit, you know what? People in New York, it would have been great if you had us, you know, to get the fuck out this area. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> to get out. It would have been great then too. So yeah. I'm thinking about, you know, these are not even conversations that have come up. And, you know, black people are like, I don't like camping. I don't like this. I, I get that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I get that. But I think we as a community should be really thinking about like that. And, you know, my sister we were talking about it. I said, well, look, especially if the home is in some kind of rural area, it shouldn't be that expensive. Exactly. Yep. That's but, exactly what I was thinking about as far as like, because it's outside of Richmond, the land situation I was telling you about. I'm thinking in my mind, it shouldn't cost too much to you know build a house there as opposed to, you know, trying to do one in the city. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never even thought about the benefits, but I want a bunker too. Okay. We all need a bunker right now. <laughs> right. So um, that's, yeah, man, just, just a, Woo, you know, like the little emoji with the little mind blown. It's it's really, for me, like just opening my eyes of privilege and how deep it is and the different layers of it. And um, 
that's why you can have a Kemp do what he's doing, just to bring it back, right? That's why mm-hmm. you can have Kemp say, open all those things. That's why he didn't have the campaign in Atlanta, because it doesn't matter, because he has his yep. base, and it's not impacting them as much. So he's doing what he can for his base, who wants it, because it's not impacting them like that. And if you're in your bunker and you're not, there's no exposure and blah, blah, then you cool. You do think it's the people are overreacting. All that madness that's going on, all that death is an afterthought to him or potential death that's going to be happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, okay, that's a little dark to end it on that. What's a, <laughs> what's a positive way to end the episode? Uh, we're still alive, right? Isn't that positive? <laughs> True. Listen, I would thanks. say that's one thing. Um, the fact that I think that most people are just like us. They're kind of seeing different ways to make things work, to get in closer to their family if they haven't been. Because, you know, a lot of black families I've noticed were kind of scattered, especially if you went to school some other place. You might start your roots there. Your family might be across the country. I do think that people are talking a lot more and trying to strategize a lot more about how can we pool our resources to get out of this as safely as we can. So I think that's one promising thing that I'm seeing happening is that people are being more communal with their, um, not just their assets, but the way that they're thinking. They're not just focused on, you know, their immediate family. They're thinking about aunts, relatives. So I think that's hopefully something that can continue on as this thing progresses. It's going to be a while before we get out of it. So I'm hoping that we see a lot more of that in our community. I'm seeing a lot of charity work too. Like even what I mentioned to you um, before we got on the broadcast about a friend of mine that lost her grandmother, her mother, and her aunt. That I'm seeing a lot of people mobilizing around her for fundraisers, you know, trying to, because she was the only child, you know, trying to get her situation mm, oh together. Oh my God, you told me that. That's awful. Oh my God, yeah. my condolences. So she's going to need a lot of support. So mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of that going around. So I'm seeing, we're seeing the worst of humanity as far as the way the government is, but I'm also seeing the best of humanity kind of on the, the front line level. So I'm hoping that continues, you know, once we get out of the worst of this. Yeah, no, I I would agree. I I do think we're seeing people come together. I think relationships, you know, a lot of times we're so busy, we're not nurturing our relationships and keeping in touch like we should be. And I do see, you know, people leaning in, building a sense of community, you know, even from a distance. And thankfully, with technology, we're able to do this. You know, I posted like, you know, if this had happened 18 years ago, you'd have like a Nokia 3300. That would be a whole different ball game, right? So yep. I, I think, you know, it is bringing people closer together and, you know, an everyday level and sharing positive messages with each other. And, you know, to you, you're saying still alive. Yeah, no, it's for real. Thank God that you woke up again to see another day because everyone doesn't have that. And that's a privilege. So Absolutely. I, I think everyone hang in there, you know, in, you know, the midst of darkness, there's always light and hold on to those glimmers of light, those little pieces. When you, when you laugh for whatever it is, if it's a meme or something you see online, or someone says something to you, those are all positive moments and things that you should cherish. And we just have to continue. Like we, this is life. We're not the first generation this has happened to. Okay, Um, we just happen to be alive right now where something like this is happening. So we just have to push through and continue to support each other. Absolutely. So, look, 
conversation went all over the place. We were supposed to talk about Teddy Riley. And we were supposed to talk about RZA and DJ Premier. But uh, clearly, that's not this episode. So uh, we'll figure that out. But thank you again for joining. Always welcome to come. I always love talking to you. Same here. Same here. Appreciate it. And uh, hopefully, we can do this again soon. Yes, absolutely. You want to shout out your social? Oh, I forgot about that. So, Ismael, I-S-M-A-E-L, underscore BBM, underscore NYK. That's on Twitter. Uh, if you're on Instagram, it's Beats Boxing Mayhem, all one word. And if you also put that in Google, you'll get my website as well, BeatsBoxingMayhem.com. Awesome. All right. I will tag all of these, of course. Thank you, Ismael, for joining. Stay safe. And, of course, like I said, happy Ramadan. Till next you, time. Man. Peace.